Well, I can see who slept in the morning service. You weren't uh, aware of uh, the need not to come back. You know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's good to be back with you. I um, was uh, able to go back and uh, hear your pastor preach, and uh, what an encouragement and blessing that was. And uh, I'm thankful for his friendship and um, consider our churches as sister churches in the cause of Christ, and I uh, hope that uh, the Lord will continue to bless you as a church. I am not uh, gifted with a booming, barreling voice. I'll do my best. Uh, If I start to uh, fade off quietly, just uh, put your hand to the ear like that, and I'll maybe see it, and I'll try and raise the volume back up a little bit, all right? So I'll, I'll do my best. If you feel like I'm yelling at you, it's the opposite signal, right? You just put your fingers in the air. So. All right, we want to go to Ephesians chapter 3 and uh, read two verses, have a word of prayer, and then uh, we should be done by about 9.30 tonight. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Ephesians 3 and verse 20. It says, Now to him who is able to do afar more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. (coughs) Dear God, we thank You for the opportunity to have Your Word. Thank You for the light and the clarity that it brings to us. We pray, Lord, as we uh, look at the book of Ephesians and specifically the significance of local assemblies like Ambassador Baptist Church in the plan and the purpose of God, Lord, may you embolden us, strengthen us, help us to be resolved, to be more faithful, to live out the calling that we have been called. Lord, we ask that you would give us a joyous time and a challenging time in your word tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm used to, did did you see my podium? It's like this big, as a big, both both the the podium, the pulpit up front and this one are little nerve-wracking for me. I'm not sure if I can balance everything on it. So if I'm fidgety, I'm sorry. I'll I'll try and do better. Um, One of the things about church, 21st century America, is uh, it has been tainted by our consumerism. Uh, Yesterday, last evening, churches that we would say are evangelical, holding to some form of the gospel at least, met, maybe two services, packed houses, even in the summer. This morning there were services at 8, 9.30, 10.30, noon. Maybe there's a divorce recovery group, huge buildings, parking lots with people driving, you know, golf carts to uh, bring their kids in. Youth rooms with all of the lights and the glitters and the Xboxes and the Playstations and, and all of this 
is designed to be church. And when we step back, there's nothing wrong with golf carts driving you to the front door if there's a large parking lot. Nothing wrong with multiple services. I personally um, believe there was a reason for the early church calling Sunday the Lord's Day. I prefer to worship on that, though it's not a matter of uh, keeping people out of hell if they worship on, uh, or sending them to hell maybe, (laughs) if they worship on Saturday. But, But really, what is the church about? Or more specifically, tonight, a gathering like this, I mean, in light of these churches we drive by and, you know, their ministries and we get their flyers and we know people who go and, and there are thousands and there are all kinds of programs and they're doing all kinds of things. Is what's going on here tonight really worth it? I mean, a gathering of not thousands. And just coming together... Singing, giving, hearing the word, week in, week out. I mean, should we just all pack up our smaller churches and sell out to the largest, best thing that has the greatest thing for our kids? You know, because kids, we got to have kids in church or, or our teens. We got to keep. What is the the real purpose for? Why a, a church like Ambassador Baptist Church would continue to keep the doors open, meet regularly, faithfully, sing, give. And I'd like to consider that in conjunction with the book of Ephesians here tonight. What we read earlier before prayer was the fact that God is working to bring glory to Himself in the church. Now, I have to say... Uh, proofreading is not my best suit, uh, my strongest hand, whatever you want to say. It should say walk worthy, not walk worth. I don't know who, uh, man, baseball player's last name is Worth. I don't know. It should say walk worthy. I apologize that it, it doesn't. But you can put a Y in there, maybe. Um, what we read is that God has a power, omnipotence, that is at work to promote His own, the recognition of His own greatness, glory, the honor, and the exaltation of His name. That God is at work to use that power to bring people together and to bring glory to Himself, not just in Ephesus or in the churches that would share this letter, but as it says here, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, to understand the backdrop of those two concluding verses, I need to do a flyover of chapters 1 through 3 before we do a flyover of chapters 4 through 6. So let me just give you a a brief walk through those opening chapters. You're probably familiar with them. Ephesians is one of those books that generally fall out of people's Bibles. Because they, you know, pastors love to preach from it, people love to read it, and there's much encouragement. So hopefully this this flyover will do it justice, but we'll give it a whirl. And in the opening of the book, we see that Paul gives praise to God for the salvation of those that are in the church. So 
So in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, he notes that this saving work is the work of the Father. The Father elects. He chooses to save sinners. He plans. He predestines the salvation of sinners. And then He claims those saved sinners as adult children, adopting them to be His own. Then He moves, Paul moves to the work of the Son to redeem believers. And the price that is paid and and all that is incorporated in that in chapter 1, verses 7-12. through And he moves from having praised the Father and the Son to the other member, the stepchild of the Trinity, as it were, though we tend to ignore the Holy Spirit. And he says about the Holy Spirit that it is the Holy Spirit's work in your life to mark you out, to identify you as God's possession. So there is praise to God in verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1. That leads to a prayer. That's all one long sentence. (laughs) Sorry, it's not in our Bibles, but for Paul it was one long sentence. We break it up to try and understand it. But I mean, it's just a praise to God moves to a prayer from Paul to God for the church. And Paul's prayer was that they would have understanding. Their eyes, their spiritual eyesight would be illuminated. That they would have growth and understanding what God is at work to do. And so he thanks God for the work that he has done and is doing in the believers' lives in verses 15 and 16. And then he prays that they would understand the work of God that is at work in them, verses 17 through chapter uh, chapter 1, 17 through 23. And, And he concludes that opening chapter with these amazing verses, beginning in verse 17. He prays that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. He prays that they would have a hope that is produced by the fact that God has called them a certainty, that they would see that they have been identified by the Spirit as God's special possession, and therefore that they would understand that God is at work, and He's at work in their midst. And and so to highlight that, He compounds words at the end, literally, of verse 19, that they would appreciate according to the power of the power of His power that is at work in them. You get the idea? Power is significant. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in the age, this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him His head over all things to Ambassador Baptist Church. That God has put His Son over a group of people like yourselves, bringing you together, and Christ is ruling and reigning by the power of God in omnipotence in a a group of people like this church which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Well, in chapter 2, Paul wants to see how, how is it that 
You can put your names in here. How is it that you came to be a part of this group? Well, it starts with very familiar expressions in chapter 2 about our lost condition and that God who took us from our being dead in sin, made us alive and granted us the faith and the repentance to believe because it wasn't of our own works. It was by His grace through faith so that nobody could boast. In verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2, he talks about us, sinners made spiritually alive. And then as a result of that, it wasn't just that you got something for you. That's why we never should stop at verse 10, but at verses 11 through 21, come alongside and, and say what God was doing in your salvation experience was He was taking you and making you one block and taking me and making me one block or your, your pastor and putting you alongside each other without need for all kinds of various things to hold us together. God was shaping you perfectly to come together in a body. And He tore down all the things that would normally divide us so that those that are younger and saved are also with those that are older and saved, those that are from different racial backgrounds, those that are from different uh, economic backgrounds, those that are in different periods of aspects of life. They're all brought together in this thing that is the church, which is His body, the place where He desires to dwell. Think about that. I know it's the su- uh, Sunday night, but think of the marvel of the fact, no matter whether there's five or 5,000, when God is at work in a church, He is taking you and your individual little life and putting you in something that He identifies as His body, the place He loves to dwell. Now, how did all of this come about? Chapter 3, Paul was called by God to a special task. This isn't Israel of the Old Testament. This is a a new, distinct, previously unrevealed mystery. And, And Paul relates to the fact that God purposed through even his own suffering to make known this glorious gospel, but not just a gospel, but a church, a collection of saved people together. And Paul was willing to to go to prison and suffer for this gospel. So in chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, he talks about how God had entrusted him the ministry of the, the gospel to the Gentile territories. And then he makes his prayer, beginning in verse 14, and we concluded it in verse 21 there. And his prayer is that the readers would understand what God is doing What is it that God is doing in all of this salvation chapter 1 and salvation chapter 2 and the church in chapter 3? What is it that God wants to do? God is exalting Himself by saving sinners and tying them together in local churches. What a marvelous mystery. Now to this point, there have been a few random commands along the way. But in chapter 4, it begins, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. In light of this, I mean, the church gathered tonight in this place, this is a marvel. 
Though there aren't thousands, that's not our concern. The fact that you as believers come together and sing your hymns and praises to God and you give for the sake of the Gospel and you hear the Word and you're united in faith, what a marvelous thing. What should you do in the pictures of a balance scale? And on one side you could put a scale you know, of one pound and over here you get your Hershey's Kisses and you're trying to balance it out so you buy just a pound. And, and when you get it just so that it balances, that's the picture. Walk in such a way that this marvelous thing that God is doing, you are being a part of that. And for our last few minutes here uh, this, this evening, I just want to consider through the remainder of Ephesians, what should you do in light of what God has purposed to do in your life? And so we find here several things from, from Paul. And again, I, I can't sit and read every passage, or it would be 9.30 or later. Just highlight a few verses. Walk worthy, that's the command, in verse 1 of chapter 4. In light of all that God is doing, with humility and gentleness and patience, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Because God is working to bring glory to Himself through Ambassador Baptist Church, you should walk in unity. You should labor to preserve the unity that is already there. In other words, God is in you, and 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 you throughout all of us. There is the same God dwelling in us by His Spirit because of salvation. There is unity. You're united to Christ. So you're united to one another. So you should walk like you really are the body of Christ in this place. Walk in unity. What does that mean? Well, as Paul unpacks this, significantly to walk in unity requires that you make use of the gift God has given your church. And that gift, not apostles, those have passed. Not prophets, again, those have ceased. And your church has been established by a missionary somewhere along the way or a church planner. So now God has gifted you with the pastor-teacher. And what God does is He takes your life under the ministry of an under-shepherd and He shapes your life so that you can be giving of yourself to another group of people, serving with whatever gifts God has given to you, so that you can maintain the unity God has already gifted you with. And that's where the, the remainder of verses 1 through 16 goes. So that as you are equipped through the gift God has given you, that the Word convicts you, the Word shapes you, the, the Word helps you, and as a result of that, you begin to be active. You begin to treat one another in certain ways and you begin to serve and you begin to give your life to something larger than your own selfish interest. That's what walking in unity looks like. Second thing Paul says then, beginning in verse 17. Notice, So this I say, affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. And he goes on to say, what does he say? Walk in a new life. Have a new way. Since you've learned Christ, 
walk consistent with that way. And what does that look like in, in very practical ways? Having a renewed mind means simple things like don't lie to each other. Speak the truth. Speak according to reality. Speak about eternal realities. Talk about the, the truth of God and His rule over this world. Don't pretend. Be honest. What does it also look like? Don't be angry with each other. And when you get angry with each other, seek to resolve it. Yes, in your marriage. Uh, but even as a body of believers, when, when somebody says something and it rubs you the wrong way, before the sun goes down, go get it resolved. Why? Because Christ is doing something in your church. He's bringing glory to God and anger matters. So don't be angry. Don't give the devil a place. In something so precious as the body of Christ. Deal with it biblically. What else does he say? He goes on to say, don't steal. Don't be so selfish that you think somebody else should care for your needs and you can just take from them. Instead, work with your hands so that you can give. So that We have a man in our church out of work. He's, he wants to work. He's trying to find a job. He's just Right now, he's interviewed for a lot of them. Got narrowed down. A lot of second interviews. No job. So the folks in our church have given and given sacrificially, not grudgingly, so that today I could say to our treasurer, I say, look, you need to write him a check. Not because he came and asked to me, but because he's been out of work for a few months and certainly there's going to be bills. And certainly there's, there's a need. And so write him a check so that his family can have food and so that we can share and care. Do those kinds of things of giving of your own resources. Because God is at work in the body of Christ. Don't have foul speech. Instead, seek to build one another up. Don't act in selfish ways. Instead, forgive one another. Be kind to one another. Well, that leads us to chapter 5. So walk in unity. Make use of the, the gift God has given you through the proclamation of His Word to shape your life so that you use your life for God's purposes. That's what unity is. And as you do that, you can't be unified if you're living the old life, so set that old life away. Chapter 5, he says, walk in love. Be imitators of God. Notice verse 2. And walk in love. Just as Christ loved you and gave Himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Don't have immorality or impurity or greed. Rather, walk in obedience. So love like God loves. What does God's love look like? So giving oneself, it is also demanding. Not selfishly demanding, but it is demanding. God's love requires us to turn from an old way when we get saved. It's not just forgiveness, but as we get the experience of salvation, we come to a conversion point where we're, we're heading this way, worshiping idols, and we turn away from them to come to God. The love we show to one another is, 
a forgiving love. It is a caring love. It is a sacrificial love. It is a demanding love where we call people to live consistent with the Gospel. Not a selfish love. Not a what can I get out of it. And I'm afraid in the modern day in which we live, this is much of what builds churches. Well, you don't have anything for my little kid. You don't have anything for my teenager. You don't have anything for single people that are left-handed and have blonde hair and blue eyes. So I'm going to go to the church that has those things. It's selfish. It's self-absorbed. It's narcissistic. And yet, the Bible calls us to be committed, to give to one another, to say the things in a godly way, but the things that need to be said. And when people say them, to respond not with abandonment and walking away, but with commitment. Walk in love. Verse 7. Notice, on into verse 8. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Walk in holiness. What does that mean? Well, The reality of your condition is you have been made alive by God spiritually. You are light now, no longer darkness. And so as a result of that, you need to try and learn in practical ways. What does it mean to please God now? Striving to learn that. But don't become partakers in unfruitful deeds. Don't come alongside the world and buy into its Ponzi schemes of selfishness and greed and immorality and just all kinds of sin. No, don't do that. Instead, reprove those things. Be a rejection of them. Be willing to stand up and say, God is not pleased with these things. As it says, and he he quotes verse 14, for this reason it says, Awake, sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine, the Nazareth says, on you. I think the better translation of the preposition there is in you. Through your life, when you stand different from the world, not in weird ways, you know, we don't want to be different from the world in everything. The world wears clothes. What's the other alternative? Yeah, we don't want to be different like that, right? Now, our clothes should be different, that maybe they're modest and, and etc. But the world eats. I want to eat. You know, now I shouldn't be an idol with my food. I understand all that. But you get the point. It's not weird kind of ways. It's by loving God and loving one another and giving our lives for this glorious purpose of God being honored and exalted in a little thing like a church. And you standing for what is right that pleases God. Walk in holiness. And then very practical section follows that, beginning in verse 15 of chapter 5. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Walk in wisdom. What does that mean? Generally, in general, verses 17 through 21, take on the character of Christ through your worship. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, but instead... Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. These general commands of wisdom. Gather with the people of God. 
Do the things that God wants done in His body. Be faithful to this assembly. And then when you go, when the assembly is no longer assembling and it leaves, when you go home, live in your marriage if you're married. Live in it in a way that pleases God. Husbands, what does that mean? You pour out your life to serve a sinner. You love her. You give of yourself. You, you lead and you provide and you protect and you care selflessly. Women, what does that mean? It means you take yourself and you place yourself not as an unequal, but as a subordinate under the leadership of your husband. Because that honors God, though society doesn't love it. Children, what does that mean, chapter 6? It means that you, you just do what mom and dad ask, assuming they're not asking you to kill somebody or steal something that would go contrary to God's Word. You, you obey. Why? Because I'm saved. And by God's grace, my life matters. So I walk in wisdom in, in everyday life. Dads, that means you're consistent. You're disciplined. You lead your children to understand discipline. And you walk in a way that is consistent with the Scriptures. You bring children up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And then as you go to work and you head out, it's not because, well, I get a paycheck. No, it's because God made me a worker. And I may not like my job, but I can go to my job and I can do it to the best of my ability when no one's watching because that's wise. And when God is pleased, that matters. That's wise living. Walk in wisdom. And then finally, the, the word walk is not found in this last one. Verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Walk in strength. I'm not trying to pretend this is easy. Right? You've experienced home life. You've experienced parents. You've experienced work. You've experienced marriage. It's not easy. You've experienced church life. God's taking sinners, putting them in all these kinds of contexts where it's hard and we get our feelings hurt and we go off and we mope or we blow up and things get broken or, or we quit the job or we do this. Be prepared to be strong, not in yourself, but in the power of God, what kind of power is in you? Omnipotence. Walk in that strength that God has given you. And because Christ has given His Spirit to you, you can walk in this spiritual struggle. Yes, you must fight. So take on the armor. Trust God's Gospel. Hide in faith behind the... Uh, the the shield of faith, so that the weapons of our enemy are not able to assault you. Take the truth. Live the Gospel. And then pray. Pray. Why? Because today you may not be feeling the temptations. You may not be struggling. Your feelings might not have been hurt, but somebody else's might be. Or somebody else needs to hear the Gospel. So pray that God's power would be on display. Now, what is my hope in sharing this message with you? My hope is this. 
you don't value yourself as a congregation by how many parking places you have, by how much cash you have in the bank, by how many people you have in the room, in the auditorium. You understand who you are. You are a group of saved people bound together by God in a particular place to be His body. And whether we think it glorious or not, an Ambassador Baptist Church, God has purposed to glorify His name as you walk, as you live with one another in all of these ways. God says to the angelic world, to the demonic world, to the watching world, this, this is what I am doing. This is what Christ can do. Maybe you don't have the glitz and the golf carts or the Xboxes or the this or that, but you know what you have when you live as the body of Christ. You have the power of God through the Spirit of God at work in your life to promote the glory of God. Whether that's five of you or 5,000. Understand, God is at work in this church. And therefore, we have a high calling. And we should strive with the strength of the Spirit to walk worthy of that calling. Now, I would normally conclude, but your pastor said I I preach 90-minute messages, so I'm just going to give an... No, I'm just kidding. I'm done. I hope that as a result of considering the book of Ephesians, really, a little bit more detailed, chapters 4 through 6, that your hearts will be strengthened. That your resolve to maybe settle some disputes or to repent of some sins or your purpose to turn away from certain behaviors, that, that you will strive according to the working of God in you to be a church that glorifies God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity this evening. Thank you for these precious saints. They are yours. You purposed to save them. You planned to save them. You provided so that they could be saved. And then by your Spirit, you saved them. You brought them together. You equipped them to serve one another You called a shepherd to guide them. Now, God, I pray for each of us that You would help us to see what a great privilege we have, what a high calling. And help us to see that what we do, how we live, matters. It matters today. It matters tonight, tomorrow. So help us to walk with a worthy walk. In Christ's name we pray it. Amen.